Good morning, church. It is so good to see all of you this morning. I am very grateful for your church. Some of you might be wondering, how, how do you know about us? Who invited you? What are you doing here this morning? It's a big pleasure for me to come here. Uh, I got to know Pastor Brandon and Pastor Mick through the Mid-Valley Southern Baptist Association. We got to partner together with them. And so when Pastor Brandon contacted me and asked if I can cover the pulpit while him and his wife celebrate their 20-year anniversary, it was a no-brainer for me. What a wonderful opportunity to be here. Thank you so much for your hospitality to me and my family this morning. I was even offered a butterscotch uh, candy there by dear brother. He did say, if my sermon's going to be good, I'll get another one. So I'll, I'll try not to mess it up. Pastor Brandon also didn't put much pressure on me by saying that I'm the first guest speaker that he invited to fill the pulpit. So hopefully I don't mess anything up so that I'm not the last guest speaker that you guys have as well. In my choosing of the passage to preach to you this morning, I was personally impacted by Psalm 111. So if you please turn there in your Bibles to Psalm 111. It is this psalm that I want to bring before you today, and I pray that God would use it for our growth and our desire to worship Him. Psalm 111, let me read it together with you. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. And the Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to His people. He has, caused, he has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Please bow with me. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this morning. Thank you for these dear brothers and sisters and for the faithful ministry of the gospel that takes place here in this church. Father, we come before your word because we know your word is true. We come to your word because we know in your word is life. We come to your word because we know it is an autobiography of who you are, your character, and your attributes. Father, I pray for the hearts of those here today who do not know you yet. I pray through the preaching of your word, may they come to see their desperate need for a Savior. Father, I ask that you would use me as an instrument in your hand to carefully and accurately exposit the truth of this text before us. So at the end of the day, your name and your name alone would receive the glory. Amen. 
You can see there in your notes, Psalm 111 can be divided into three sections, and therefore I divide it in three sections for you today. We'll look at the praise, the praise that the psalmist is encouraging us, and then secondly, we'll look at the ponder, the ponder that he's asking us to consider, and then finally we'll conclude, Lord willing, this morning by looking at the provision that God has given all of us. Psalm 111 is unique in a few ways. One of them is we do not know who the psalmist is. We're not given a name. We're not told if it's David, Solomon, or Moses, and therefore I'll be referring to him as simply psalmist. And from the get-go, in case you're wondering, what kind of psalm is this? It's hard for you to miss that this is a praise psalm. This is a psalm that's encouraging all of us to join in in giving thanks to the Lord. Quite literally, the psalm begins with a hallelujah. Look here. In the Hebrew word, hallel means to praise, and Yahweh means the Lord. That's where we get our English word for hallelujah. It means praise the Lord. And that's how the Psalm 111 before us today starts. He begins it with a hallelujah. The psalmist here starts individually. Look, he says, I will praise. I will give thanks to the Lord. He's not waiting for others to come around him. He says, I'm going to start with myself. I'm going to praise the Lord. He's going to do so. The term there in Hebrew for give thanks, another way that it's translated in some of your translations is he will testify or he will confess about something. And this testimony and this confession is making the psalmist praise. It's making him leap for joy. It's making him shout a hallelujah. He's praising. And in case you're wondering, what kind of praise is this? Is it just a tiny little praise, a half-hearted praise? No. He tells us right away that he will do that with the whole heart. This psalmist is so excited about something, he's so spirit-filled about something, that he's excited to praise the Lord, not quietly, but wholeheartedly. He wants to testify and confess of the Lord. His praising of the Lord is full of resolve and determination. He's full of zeal and passion and excitement. All of his heart is overflowing with gratitude to the Lord. Yet in his overflowing, he's not able to keep it to himself either. This praise is so contagious that it's starting to spread, not just to him individually, but to the people around him. Notice with me in, in the, at the end of verse 1, he's not just praising by himself, but he says, I will do that in the company of the upright, that's another way of saying in a smaller group of believers, and maybe his family and his household. But then it spreads even bigger than that. He's saying, I'll do this by myself. I'll do this in a company, in close-knit company. But I will also do this in the congregation, in the general assembly. Brothers and sisters, I never met some of you. Some of you I just met today. But what's unique is we're able to come together here and praise the Lord because we're all united through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what he's doing here. 
He's so excited about something, and we'll see soon what it is, that he's willing to praise the Lord when he's by himself. He's willing to thank the Lord when he's in a company of close friends in his home. And whenever he gets around other believers, he also encourages them to praise the Lord. Just exactly what we did today as we came here this morning. So some of you might be saying, it seems to be appropriate at this time to ask, well, what has gotten into him? Whenever you see someone so excited that he's willing to praise individually, in his family, and in the gathering of believers, what is he so encouraged by that he's willing to do all these things? And there we see that the motivation for his praise is found in verse 2. He's saying, great are the works of the Lord. This psalmist is praising God because of what God has done. And notice here in the Hebrew, it's not just one specific event that he's describing. Psalms, uh, some of the psalms are written to highlight a specific work of God, a specific work of salvation perhaps, a specific work of deliverance. Here, the works are plural in Hebrew. So he's praising the Lord for his wonderful works, for lots of things that the Lord has done for them. Psalm 92, 4 says, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing. And notice how he describes these works. They are described as great, full of splendor and majesty. They are wondrous and powerful, faithful and just. Brothers and sisters, let me pause here. Have you considered the works of God in your life? Have you joined the psalmist in praising God for what he has done for you? I know it's, it's easy for us to see all the challenges and difficulties in the life, but have you stopped and considered all the wonderful works of the Lord? All his blessings, all his provisions, and his care for you? Should we then not join the psalmist in praising him for what he has done? Not just when we're gathered together, but when we're on our own, in the car driving, in our cubicle working, at home taking care of the kids the Lord has blessed us with, on the farm, on the field, are we praising the Lord for his wonderful works? In the company of close friends, is that the reason why we gather? Is that the motivation for our coming together? And then we come here on Sunday. Isn't it wonderful to praise God for his works? However, we should never separate the works of God from the character of God. Because the works of God point us to who is this God of the works. The works of God show us who he is. They testify about him. And therefore, the psalmist here is not only praising God for what he does, but he's also praising him for who he is. Notice with me, verse 3. The psalmist is praising the Lord because of his righteousness. The works of God show and point to the righteousness of God. In verse 4, notice the attributes that he mentions. His grace 
and mercy. The psalmist in the works of God sees the grace of God. He sees the mercy of God. In verse 5, he mentions the faithfulness of God. In verse 9, we see the holiness and the awesomeness of God. Brothers and sisters, have you noticed the beautiful connection that God does something because of who He is? The works of God throughout the created order and throughout our daily provisions are a testimony of who He is. He does because he, it reflects who He is. Steve Lawson said, who God is cannot be separated from what God does. Both the person and the work of God are one. God's attributes and His actions are inseparably united, the later being an extension of the former. Therefore, believers should praise God for His mighty deeds, which flow directly out of His divine being. Another commentator says, it is impossible to understand the revelation of God Himself in the Bible discreetly, for His person and His works are interlinked. He does what He is, and He is what He does. Brothers and sisters, as you ponder upon the works of the Lord, have you wondered what that reveals to you about God? As you see His mercy and kindness extended to you, are you in awe of the merciful and kind God to you? As you look at the salvation provided to you through the Lord Jesus Christ, do you see the grace of God in that salvation? When you understand the price that it took in order for our sins to be forgiven, do you see the holiness of God and His purity and that there was need for His wrath to be satisfied? And the only way that was possible was through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the psalmist is praising. That's why the psalmist is hallelujahing in here, because he sees the works of God, which point to the God of the works. That brings us to a second point in your notes. Not only do we see the praise of God, but we also see the ponder which is encouraged. You see, because the praise that the psalmist is showing us here did not come about by itself, but it was a byproduct of something. It was a result, a consequence of something that allowed him to notice those works, that allowed him to notice those deeds of God. And we're told in verse 2, great are the works of the Lord. Why? Because they are studied by all who delight in them. There is a unique and wonderful connection between our worship and praise of God and our study of the works of God. And I know some of you start thinking, you know what? Study is just such an educational term. It makes you think of those finals and those exams and those tests you have to take. In your mind, you don't even want to think of study somehow being interlinked with your worship of God. Brothers and sisters, think about your first love. Was that a chore for you to study the person that you loved? I remember when I first started dating my wife, her family lived 11 miles from me, 
but it was no chore for me, and I could care less about gas mileage to drive to my, my wife's house at that time and to spend time with her and to study her, to find out what is she like, what makes her smile, what are the things that pique her interest, what are some of the things that she thinks about, what are her movies, her books that she likes. And the more I spent time around her, the more I wanted to study and get to know her because I love her. And therefore, when I loved her, it was no chore for me to study and find out more about her. And if that's our human relationships, how much more so should it be when we want to study the God that we love? When we see his works, don't we want to find out more? When we see his blessing and provision, don't we want to study and find out what makes God pleased? What God hates in his word? What are the things that God sent his son for? Why it was necessary? Daniel Esty says, investigating how the Lord works in his world and throughout history evokes delight in him. And in turn, Praising the Lord cultivates and increases study of His works. Brothers and sisters, the sad reality is oftentimes worship is not a natural reaction in our hearts. Sometimes in our fallen state, it requires us to actually go back and study what God has done, to be reminded of those things so that we can praise Him for those things. Study is a unique component of worship in the Word of God. Joe Rigney says, delight leads to study. When we recognize something is as full of splendor and majesty, careful attention is no chore. Sisters, is that your experience? When you realize that God is so much better than everything in this world, when you realize that the truth of God's Word is so much better than what the society is offering us today, does that lead you to want to get to know Him more? Does that lead you to want to meditate on His precepts more? Study His Word? Learn His Word? Do you love God so much that your study of Him is no chore to you at all, but it actually is joy and pleasure to get to know the God of the Word that much more. This study of God is so unique because the more we study Him, the more we realize we're not like Him. The more we study His holiness and righteousness, the more we realize the sin in our life that needs to be put to death. And therefore, the more we study God, the more we learn about Him, the more we want to become like His Son the more we want to put to death the sins in our life that do not belong there. And the wonderful thing is God has not left us to our own devices. We are not on our own when it comes to studying and getting to know Him better. When Jesus was leaving, He says, I'm sending you a helper so that you can remember the words which I have spoken to you. God has given us His Spirit, and it is through His Spirit that we can study and get to know Him better. He has given us access to the Father through prayer. In prayer, we can come before Him and ask to get to know Him better, to learn more about Him. 
God has given us his holy word. It is in this word that we come to to study and learn. Like I mentioned, it's his autobiography. This is where God reveals himself through the written word. He has given us brothers and sisters so that we can come together and study God together because we love him, we delight in him, and therefore we want to get to know him better. But God also given us something unique that perhaps not many of us think about when it comes to study of God. He has given us the ability to remember. Look at verse, one, uh, verse 4 of, chapter, of uh, Psalm 111. He says, He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. Brothers and sisters, this morning I want to remind you of your memory. I want to remind you of the wonderful gift of God that He has given us to remember. Have you considered what a blessing it is? That God has given us the abilities to encode, store, and retrieve memories in our mind? How certain sounds or certain music takes us back years? I have privilege of serving with two other pastors in Fresno. One of them is 20 years older than me. The other one is 40 years older than me. And so when we go to a diner where they play 60s music, the one who's 40 years older than me, he starts telling me stories of his high school. And just by hearing a song, it takes him back generations. And then the, the pastor who's 20 years older than me, whenever Journey comes on or any of the 80s uh, music comes on, he starts telling me about his glory days and how he used to cruise Blackstone, whatever that means, and, and, and so on. And just remembering a certain song, a certain sound, it takes us back to a certain time in our life. Or what about uh, when we see certain things, images? Some of you are visual learners, where you might not have been to a place for many years, but you can tell me how the mountains look, how the snow falls there, how the sunset is reflected in that lake, because in your mind, God has given you the ability to remember and to, to think of certain things. For me personally, my memory works through smells. My aunt in Ukraine had this raspberry garden. And every time when, we, when I smell freshly washed raspberries, even though I haven't seen my aunt for 18 years or been to Ukraine in 18 years, I think of that garden in Ukraine whenever I smell those raspberries. That's how Lord has allowed for my brain to work, to remember certain places or times. Some of you are tactile learners. Whenever you touch something, when it makes you think of something. And so our memories are a wonderful tool. And the purpose of the memory was given to us by God to worship Him, to glorify Him. And that's why God causes us to remember His wonderful works. Eugene Merrill says, it is precisely in remembering that a basis for worship exists, for it is God and His works that must be brought to our mind regularly and repeatedly as objects of contemplation 
and celebration. And therefore, as we use our memories to recall a work of God, His actions point us to His character. We remember what God has done. We remember who is this God of those actions, of those works. And that leads us to hope and sanctification and praise. Because when we remember who God is and what He has done, it gives us hope that He will do so again. But brothers and sisters, there's a key. The only reason this works with God is because He is God. The only reason why our memory can serve to worship God is because our God is not a man. The only reason our memories of God's past actions can lead us to worship is because He is, I'll give you a fancy term, immutable. That means He is unchanging. He is without change. You see, if you were to remember what I did 10 years ago, that is of no value to you because I am not the man now that I was 10 years ago. And there is no guarantee for you that whatever I promised you 10 years ago that I'm able or willing to carry out right now because my desires have changed, my, my life has changed, the things that I like, the things that I do. I've grown in some things. I've got worse in some things. My back gave out this Monday, and uh, the, my back used to never do that 10 years ago. And, and all of those things combined. Therefore, if I promised you something from 10 years ago, it is of no value to you. But if God promised something yesterday, 10 years ago, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, those promises are true today because our God does not change. And it is therefore when we remember what God did to the nation of Israel, the promises that He made to them, I can have full assurance that those promises are still true today because our God does not change. And His covenant and His commandment and His promises that He's going to come back for His church, the bride, I can trust those because I remember them, and that leads me to worship. Brothers and sisters, it is a wonderful thing that we serve a God who does not change. And time and time again, the Word of God reminds us of this truth. Malachi 3.6 tells us, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Do you understand the severity of this verse that I just read to you? The only reason why God still loves us today and still holds true to the promise that He made to us, the only reason why the blood of Jesus Christ is still good to cover my sins today, and it will be for, for many more years until the Lord comes, is because God doesn't change. I don't have to wonder this morning if God all of a sudden decided to change the way that we can be reunited with Him. I don't have to wonder if God changed His standard for holiness and righteousness. And therefore, because God doesn't change, Jacob could have peace and comfort that he's not consumed. In the same way, we can have peace and comfort that we are not consumed and that we have a fellowship with the Father 
because our God doesn't change. Our memory of what God does and who He is leads us to worship of Him. We see also back in Psalm 111, verse 5, He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant. Brothers and sisters, it should bring us immense comfort to know that God remembers His covenant. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but whenever Scripture says that God remembers something, it's not talking about the fact that God can forget something. God doesn't operate like that. But rather, when Scripture says that God remembers His covenant, it means that He's acting upon His covenant. He's acting upon His promises that He has made to His people. What a wonderful thing to know that God has given us memory to remember what He has done so we can praise Him. Some of you are saying, you know what? I actually don't like my memories. Memory is a wonderful thing, but whenever I go back into my memories, it brings me a lot of things that makes me sad. A lot of things that sometimes makes me hard to worship God for. Brothers and sisters, that's the sad reality of our fallen state. That the memories which were designed and created by God so that men and women can worship Him after the fall of men in the Garden of Eden have been corrupted. The results of the fall brought about death and disorder into the world. Sin has brought about corruption, not just to the hearts of men, but also to the mind of the men. And therefore, our memories and our ability to remember that we're designed to praise God have been corrupted by sin, and often our memories are used not to worship Him, but rather to worship us. We remember the things that we think are important to us rather than remembering the things that God said are important for us to remember. Think about also how often memory not only corrupts us morally, but physically we are faced with challenges to remember. We have illnesses like dementia and Alzheimer's, which all prevent us from remembering the works of God. We, we become so narrow-minded with our memories. In the times when we're supposed to forget, we remember. And the times when we're supposed to forgive and, and no longer bring something up, we specifically hold on to that because it brings us pleasure sometimes to hurt those around us. That's what sin does. It corrupts our ability to remember, or it uses our memories for us and for our purposes, rather than using them to give praise to God. Matt Reher says, due to its corruption, memory no longer operates as God designed it. Rather than glorifying and enjoying God, man now distorts memory to glorify and enjoy self. Isn't it sad when sometimes we evaluate the things that we remember, we're wondering, how did it even get there? What value does that memory even serve? Why do I remember all those math equations that I learned in seventh grade, but I don't remember the verse that the pastor preached on last week? Why do I remember the sins of my brother and my sister against me 30 years ago? But I can't remember the display of God's mercy and grace to me two days ago. Do you remember the parable of the unforgiven servant? He was forgiven so much, 
And yet his first memory was to go find his fellow brother who owned him so little. Brothers and sisters, isn't it sad that that is the case in our life? How much more should we come to God and plead him for mercy and forgiveness so that he would help us use our memories and our ability to remember his works, to praise him and glorify him? The commentator goes on to to say, sin corrupts memory. You forget what you should remember and remember what you should forget while doubting that God will forget what he promised and will remember what he promised to forget. That's why we constantly need to be reminded of these truths. That's why we need to gather here today. That's why the psalmist was not just praising God by himself, but he was praising him by himself and his family and with fellow believers. We need each other to help us remember the works of God. We need each other to help us, to push us, to to sanctify us, so that you can come up to your brother and say, do you remember what the Lord has done for you? So that you can come up to your fellow sister in the Lord and say, do you remember the blessings of God to us? We need each other. That's why in Hebrews 10, 23 and 25, we're told, let us hold fast That hold fast to the confession is another way of saying, let us remember, let us remind ourselves, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Brothers and sisters, the day is drawing near. The Lord is sooner to coming back than He has ever been before. And therefore, the command of God's Word is so that you would encourage one another, that you would stir up one another. The media and the world around us is trying to encourage us and point us in a different direction. But it is our job as fellow brothers and sisters to stir up each other to remember God's works to remember his promises, to praise him for what he has done. Do you understand also that when your church comes to celebrate the communion, do you know what you're doing when you're celebrating communion? One of the main commands that Jesus taught his disciples, and they're in extension to us today, when we partake in communion, we're doing what? We're remembering. He wants us to remember his sacrifice. He wants us to use the God-given ability to remember so that we can see the cross, we can see the blood that was shed for us, and we can give praise to God for it. We can worship Him for it. Therefore, next time as you gather together for communion, you're actually coming together to remember, to stir one another up so that you can worship God. Finally, I, I kept this uh, this this little tidbit for you till now about Psalm 111. It's hard for us to see that in the English language, but in Hebrew, Psalm 111 is an acrostic psalm. And what that means is that each of the 22 lines in Psalm 111 begin with the Hebrew letter of the alphabet. And the reason why it's done like that, and it's unfortunate that we lose that in our English translation, but it was done that for the memory. You see, they didn't have PowerPoint, 
They didn't have pro presenter. They didn't have the hymns back then. And the way that the churches, the gathering of the saints, would remember hymns and psalms is they would find unique, creative ways to memorize them. And Psalm 111 is one of those psalms where even children could remember, as long as they knew the Hebrew alphabet, they can say, okay, A is for this, B is for this, and so on. And they use that as a tool to help them remember the works of God. So that by remembering His works, they can praise Him. Finally, this morning, let's close with a third and final point in your notes. Not only do we see the reason for praise, the command to ponder or to remember, but we also see a specific work highlighted by the psalmist in the provision here. In the conclusion, I want us to see the psalmist is reminding us of one specific work here in verse 9. After he lists various works of God, he saves the best for last for us in verse 9. There he says, He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Brothers and sisters, most likely what the commentators think he's talking about here when he's mentioning the redemption is he's probably talking about the time when God has redeemed his people from the nation of Egypt. Redemption is a market term, which means someone had to pay a price. A price had to be paid in order to buy someone out, to redeem someone out from something. A great price was paid in Egypt in order for God to rescue His people. The doorposts of the homes had to be marked by the blood of a spotless, blameless lamb. That blood of the lamb served as a redemption price so that the angel of death could walk by and pass over those doors to the house. And what makes that redemption even more unique and special as you study the Old Testament is that Israel didn't deserve it. Not only did they not deserve it, guess what? They were in slavery, and they didn't want God to save them. Even after He saved them, and even as they were walking, after seeing miracles after miracles, plagues after plagues, they were still grumbling. Some of them still wanted to come back to Egypt. They didn't even want to be redeemed. Psalm 106 tells us, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. You see, this psalmist is praising God for his works, but the fathers who were in Egypt did not consider the wondrous works. They did not remember. You see, the psalmist is encouraging us to remember the works of God. The people of Israel did not. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea, yet He saved them. He saved them for His namesake, that He might make known His mighty power. So He saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them, bought them out from the power of the enemy. Brothers and sisters, before we're so quick to judge the nation of Israel, isn't this the case with us? We didn't deserve God's redemption. We didn't want God's redemption. No one seeks after God, not even one. Instead, we were happy and satisfied in our sins. 
but it was God. By the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is that image of that spotless, unblemished lamb, shed his blood on our behalf, and God purchased us through the blood of Christ. This, there's one thing you want to walk away from this morning. I want you to remember this. Use your memory to worship God for this, for his work of sending us his son. Galatians 4, verse 4 through 5 tells us, But when the fullness of time had come, God has sent us his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem to those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Brothers and sisters, is that not reason enough for us to praise? Is that not reason enough for us to join the psalmist in shouting hallelujah of praise? God has saved us, and that's just one of his wonderful works. I pray that this passage in Psalm 111 encourages you to go back and listen and meditate and remember the wonderful works of God so that in those wonderful works of God, you might see the wonderful God of His works. And so that in seeing who He is, you can trust Him and have hope because He's a God that doesn't change. He's immutable. There's no shifting of shadows with Him. And may that truth remind you of, of your redemption, of your salvation. And those of you here today who do not know Him yet, the promises of God are still true today. If you will come to Him and repent of your sins and trust in Him and in His Son alone, He will is faithful to grant you forgiveness, to give you eternal life, not because of anything you have done, but because of everything that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the words of the psalmist in Psalm 111, as he serves as a wonderful reminder for us to come to your word, to look at your works, to praise you for your works. And now, Father, I pray, may that be the case for us. As we go on with our days this week, Father, may we be the people who are praising you, using our memories that you have gifted us for the purposes of glorifying you and worshiping you. Father, once again, if there are those here today whose eyes are closed, whose ears are deaf, whose hearts are hearts of stone, I ask that you break their hearts. Show them their sin. Show them their need for a Savior. May they come to you and you alone, for there is salvation in no one other than you. We ask this in your name. Amen.